Welcome to worship at Metropolitan Community Church of the Lehigh Valley. broken, but this morning is different. We've come to visit the grave of a friend, but the tomb is empty. The chosen one is risen in our hearts. Death is defeated. Now we can proclaim, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. from the dark door. 
to a time of confession. Let's join with our siblings in Christ. Let's join with our faith community in confessing to God all that we may have done or left undone in our relationship uh, with God. Loving God, we confess that at times we do not share in the joy of the resurrection but are caught in the worries of the world. We confess that we do not always live in the spirit of new life but remain discontent grumbling and anxious. Forgive us when we find it more comfortable to worry and complain than to risk the joy and encouragement of new life in Christ. Call us back to your ways, O oh God, to seek hope and reconciliation, restoration and peace. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray, amen. We have established praying ground here. This is sacred space. And so we want to share prayer at this time. For those who are worshiping online, you can type your prayer request directly into the comments. For those who are worshiping in person, in just a moment, I'm going to pause and we can lift up any prayer needs into that pause. Any beloved ones who need our prayer energy, any situation or circumstance. Let us pray. Good and glorious God, we praise you for this resurrection celebration. Death does not have the last word. You are always victorious. You have provided us with this time of worship. We are so very grateful. We turn to you, God, and we humbly ask you to turn any unbelief 
into belief, turn any despair into hope, and turn any misunderstanding into a testimony about your love. We humbly ask for an outpouring of your grace that we may live evermore into the promises you have provided to us. Help us to respond to your many gifts with a generosity of spirit. Bless every person here with your abundance. Bless your church, Metropolitan Community Church of the Lehigh Valley. Bless the denomination of Metropolitan Community Churches. Transform our lives and change our hearts to be messengers of Easter joy and hope. And we make this prayer through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord forever. And let's all say, Amen. Just like a lamb to slaughter, a sinless sacrifice, but by his death, his loss became my gain. He is Lord.
Our reading this morning comes from chapter 20 of John's Gospel. Hear God's word for you. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and bending down to look in, saw the linen wrappings lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following after and went into the tomb. Peter saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciple returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to God, but go to my disciples and say to them, I am ascending to my creator and your creator, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Here ends today's reading. Praise God that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The title of today's sermon is Believe, Hope, Testify. Easter is all about believing, hoping, testifying. And for any fans of the three-point message, today is a bonanza. I do want to start off today by sharing a story that speaks a bit to belief and hope. This past summer, my spouse Carol and I, we traveled to the western part of Pennsylvania uh, to a place that had been on our bucket list for quite some time. It's a place called Falling Water. It's a house that was designed by the late great architect Frank Lloyd Wright. Just marvelous, just amazing. So I always like to have snacks, so packed a cooler of snacks. Uh, we like to travel inexpensively, so we had found an inexpensive hotel online. 
Now, we drove up to the hotel, and it would be more accurate, accurately described as a motel, right? A motor lodge. Uh, so we drove uh, right up to our door, and um, you know, we felt maybe a little bit uh, queasy. It seemed like it would be a, a good scene for an axe murderer. So uh, once we got settled in our room and, and we closed the door, I placed the cooler in front of the door, right? And Carol was a little dubious. She looked at me and said, do you believe that would stop an axe murderer. And I said, well, you know, maybe it would trip a person up. You know, maybe it would uh, disorient a person. Next night, I also put the little cooler in front of the door uh, with the belief and hope uh, that this would trip up someone who would want to do us harm. And again, Carol was dubious. And looking back, I can testify that my belief and hope were more likely magical thinking, right? My belief and hope were misplaced. But let's be confident of this and let's be assured of this. Our belief and our hope are not misplaced when we place our belief and hope in the risen Christ. I do want to uh, be a bit more serious in talking about today's scripture passage uh, because the story that we heard today is the foundation of Christian uh, belief. And the Easter story comes from chapter 20 of the Gospel according to John. And while the main character in the story is the risen Christ, there are three other characters that play critical roles in the Easter story. And who are they? Mary Magdalene, Peter, and the beloved disciple. And there's a lot to love about the story. I love that the first person to whom the resurrected Christ appears is a woman with a sketchy past. And further, that a woman is the first person to be sent by Jesus to testify to the resurrection. I love that the person who had previously denied Jesus three times is redeemed by being a witness to the empty tomb. I love that the beloved disciple believes in the resurrection without having any visual proof. Mary Magdalene, Peter, and the beloved disciple, they mirror our lives and our responses to the miracle of the resurrection. As we all seek to be disciples, as we all seek to follow Jesus, we also bring along with us our troubled past histories. We bring our present challenges, as well as our future struggles. Mary Magdalene, Peter, and the beloved disciple, they were imperfect human beings, and yet God entrusts this motley crew with the central belief of the Christian faith, the resurrection to eternal life. And so we come to understand that we are not defined by our troubles, we are not defined by our challenges or struggles, but that God sees beyond these things. God empowers us for faithfulness in a world that is desperately in need of just a little bit of faith. We hear at the start that while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now this is odd. People ordinarily did not mess with a tomb because it was sealed. And the stones that were used to cover 
a tomb were large, very difficult to move. And Mary is naturally very distressed. Now, it could be that Mary Magdalene is concerned that the political authorities have taken away the body. The Roman government was focused on maintaining power and control, and they might want to eliminate a gathering place of the followers of Jesus, making it harder for a potential rebellion against Rome. Or, or it could be uh, grave robbers, right? Grave robbers were common in ancient times and they desecrated tombs for personal gain. So we hear that, that Mary runs to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And we don't know the name of this beloved disciple, though some have said it was John. It's a bit of an off-putting title, right? We may think, well, didn't Jesus love all of his disciples? Why is this one guy singled out as the one whom Jesus loved? Well. The beloved disciple makes five appearances in John's gospel, and we could think of him as someone with whom Jesus had a special connection. It could be that Jesus loved this disciple because maybe he was a really loving man, or it could be that Jesus loved this disciple because he wasn't very lovable. We don't know the details, but we can celebrate that one of the disciples had this special relationship with Jesus. So again, Mary Magdalene, she runs, she goes to Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and Mary says to these two disciples, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. And we don't know, again, who the they refers to, government authorities, grave robbers, or another group. The most important part of Mary's communication with Peter and the beloved disciple is that she alerts them that the body of Jesus is missing and is nowhere to be found. So Peter, the beloved disciple, they set out, they went towards the tomb. The two were running together. The beloved disciple outruns Peter. He reaches the tomb first. He bends down to look in. He sees the linen wrappings lying there. Now the beloved disciple doesn't go in. Then Peter comes. He follows after. He went into the tomb. Peter saw the linen wrappings also, and, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head wasn't lying with all the other wrappings, but was in a place by itself. Now, because the linen wrappings were there, it is then highly unlikely that grave robbers were involved in the disappearance of Jesus' body, because linen cloths, they were very valuable, and the robbers, they could have sold these linen cloths. Now, we hear that then the beloved disciple who reached the tomb first, he also went in then, he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that, that he must rise from the dead. Now, this is a bit confusing, right? The beloved disciple saw and believed, but they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the beloved disciple is having one of those moments of deep recognition that we all experience from time to time. We believe something at the core of our being, but we're clueless about the specifics or the details or the scripture re references or the previous conversation. So the beloved disciple knows something, but, but he cannot describe it. He cannot put it into words, but he knows it's wonderful. And then we hear next that the disciples return to their homes, but Mary stood crying outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one angel at the head, one angel at the feet. The angels asked Mary, woman, 
Why are you weeping? And Mary explains to the angels, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. After stating this to the, the angels, Mary turns around, and there is Jesus. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus asks her the same question that the angels had asked Mary. Woman, why are you weeping? And then Jesus asks, for whom are you looking? Now Mary doesn't recognize that it's Jesus speaking to her and she doesn't see that it's Jesus probably for a variety of reasons. When we are grieving a loss, our minds are not particularly clear. And we don't know what the appearance of Jesus' resurrected body looked like. It could have had a different appearance than his earthly body. As the Apostle Paul writes about the resurrection, our perishable bodies must put on imperishability and our mortal bodies must put on immortality. Now, I would like to think of my resurrected body with a little more fashion sense, maybe looking a little more dapper, my skin looking healthier, the biceps looking a little more buff, maybe six inches taller, right? Now, Mary Magdalene does not recognize Jesus, perhaps because his appearance has changed a bit. And Mary mistakes Jesus for being the gardener. And Mary, Mary, she turns to this person she believes to be the gardener, says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, I will take him away. And Jesus replies, Mary! And Mary has that moment of recognition in hearing his voice. She turns to Jesus and says, Rabuni, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Mary clings to Jesus. She doesn't want to let go of her beloved savior, friend, healer, and teacher. And Jesus says to Mary, don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to God, but go to my disciples, say to them, I am ascending to my creator and your creator, to my God and to your God. And so Mary Magdalene went and she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, praise God for this Easter story, which leads us to believe, to hope, and to testify. And I would like to spend a little bit of time talking about each one of these, starting with belief. And I'm going to start with some wise words from the theologians. And so on this next slide, we have Latina feminist theologian Maria Pilar Aquino. She recently retired from the University of San Diego, and Aquino, she refers to belief, I love this, as a process. What does she say? That the believing process incorporates the recreative dynamism of the spirit. Belief is a process, and I find this to be a great relief, mostly because processes are often messy. The process of baking or creating a meal, that can be messy. The process of becoming skilled on the job, that can be messy. Steps forward, steps back. The process of maturing in faith is often messy. Belief is a process. And there's no need to be anxious, there's no need to be upset about complying to a set of doctrines. Now don't get me wrong, there's a place for doctrine, there's a place for sound teaching, but doctrine is not at the center. Christ is at the center. For the Christian, Christ is always at the center, not teaching about Christ, just Christ. So what matters more than doctrine is this uh, recreative dynamism 
of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit breathes on us and we are recreated once again. Life need not be stagnant. We're not stuck. We have a dynamic Holy Spirit who revives us again and again. Now, some might point out there seems to be a lack of process in the beloved disciples' belief as well as Mary Magdalene's, but we don't know the whole of their journeys. The beloved disciple and Mary Magdalene do not have just one moment of belief that leads them to embrace the resurrection. But instead, they have come to their belief through a process of discipleship, a process of following Jesus, a process of opening their minds and their hearts to miracles, a process of seeing the world differently. And practicing spirituality has introduced all of us to a life both visible and invisible, a life both tangible and intangible, a life both perceptible and imperceptible. Belief is a process that leads us to increasingly understand ourselves as part of the continuing story of Jesus. So again, today, we look at belief, hope, and testimony. Now, whenever the church mentions hope, the name Jürgen Moltmann often comes up in conversation. Jürgen Moltmann is a German Reformed theologian, and for many years he was at the University of Tübingen. And Moltmann, on this next slide, he writes in his book, which is titled The Theology of Hope, that the risen Christ and the resurrection hope must be de declared to be the enemy of death and of a world that puts up with death. Now Moltmann, he goes on to write, this is why faith, wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest, but unrest. Not patience, but impatience. It doesn't calm the unquiet heart, but it itself is the unquiet heart in people. So those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is. And again, that's Jürgen Moltmann. Now, Moltmann had reason to lose all hope. As a 16-year-old in Germany in the 1940s, he was forced to fight in World War II. He spent three years in prisoner of war camps. And when I was re reading about the background of Jürgen Moltmann, I couldn't help but think of all of those 16-year-old boys in Ukraine who should be playing video games, working a few hours at a grocery store, and doing homework instead of being dragged into the horrors of war and violence. We live in a world that puts up with death, a world that shrugs its shoulder in response to war, in response to COVID deaths, in response to yet another gun violence death in a nearby school. Now, Moltmann points out that because of the resurrection hope, Christians do not shrug their shoulders and do not accept reality as the final word. There's a different way to live, both here on earth as well as eternally. So a commitment to Christ agitates in us a desire, not just for a transformed self, but it also empowers us to agitate for a transformed world where love rules, where grace overflows, where peace reigns. Now, unfortunately, love, grace, and peace do not occur just because we wish them to. We have to become restless for love. We have to become impatient for grace, unquiet, for peace. 
Now, one of my favorite hopeful stories out of the pandemic was about an email snafu. And it was written about in the New Yorker magazine in April of last year. A furniture company had 203 people on an email list to keep them updated on the delivery of their couch. Now, each of these 203 people on the list had ordered the same couch. And there were delays in the delivery uh, due to the pandemic. Now, one day, this list, they received another update, another notice of delay. And the CEO of this furniture company was apologetic, but he made the mis a mistake in sending out this email. Instead of blind carbon copying, the email message went out as a carbon copy, right? So instead of BCC, it went out as a CC message. This means that everyone could see all of the 203 email addresses, and you could easily reply all. And a bit of chaos ensued, right? People were, were sending the whole list, complaints and frustrations with the furniture company and uh, with the pandemic and just with life in general. Now, the emails could have become increasingly negative, but one person of these 203, one person on this list pointed out that now at least we have a little but mighty community of people. And community can pop out of the strangest of circumstances. And community can help people to be a bit more bold. So there, there was a young woman named Zoe, and she decided to name her hope to this entire email list. Zoe, she seized the moment, and she wrote to the 203 people on the email list, I'd personally like to make the most out of this bonkers thread and throw it out there that I'm a 29-year-old single woman in New York City looking for a Jewish man. And she received all sorts of encouragement in a flood of emails supporting her in, in seeking a partner. Now, it doesn't take much to turn uh, something unhopeful, something annoying, into something that's profoundly hopeful and delightful. Again, we are called to believe, hope, and testify. And I think those first two, belief and hope, we're not particularly fearful about these. Belief and hope are, are not very scary, they're not very intimidating. But that last word, we might get a little scared of when we hear it, testify. Testifying is about taking our belief and our hope public. And we sometimes hesitate to testify because we don't know how it's gonna be accepted by others. Now, on this next slide, we have Willie James Jennings, and he's a professor of systemic theology and Africana studies, and this is at Yale University. And on this, on this slide, Jennings writes this, disciples are watched, especially by those in need. Disciples must be seen, especially by those in need. Now, if we claim a commitment to Christ, People are going to keep an eye on us. And this is for a couple of reasons. Now, certainly there are a few people who are waiting for us to slip up so that they can criticize us. But most people are watching church members because they have a need. And they're trying to determine if we are truly living out a commitment to Christ or if it's just for show. A neighbor might someday need a ride to an appointment 
And they're trying to figure out if we could be uh, asked to help. A coworker might need affirmation, and they're trying to see if we're a person who offers encouragement or if we're the type of so-called spiritual person who withholds encouragement. A family member might need some money, and they're trying to figure out if we give freely or if we make them forever feel like they owe us something. Professor Jennings says disciples must be seen, especially by those in need. So becoming a more mature Christian and being public about our faith does not mean that we're respected more. It typically means we are respected less. We're asked to do more. We're expected to give more, to heal more, and to sacrifice more. I think it's clear that I'm probably one of the worst marketers of Christianity the world has, uh, has ever seen, but I have to be truthful. Following Jesus is definitely joyous, but if we want it to mean something, it's also challenging. Now the good news is that we don't do any of this by our own energy or strength or intellect. We serve people in need only by the power of God. So when our belief goes public, when our hope goes public, when we come out about our faith, when we testify to the goodness of God, it's not about putting pressure on ourselves. Oh, now we have to perform. Now we have to prove how right we are. Now we have to show the world that religion and spirituality are true. Instead, that's not it. Instead, when we testify, we free ourselves and we free others. We're no longer all about ourselves. We're about something much bigger. The people we help are no longer all about their need or pain or problem. They're a part of something much bigger. On this last slide, believe, hope, testify. Three points. Number one, we come to believe as a lifelong process, a journey full of the Spirit. And we believe in the resurrection from the dead, not because it's logical or reasonable, but because it's about the power of God, which is beyond our human capacity. Number two, we hold on to hope because we are not satisfied with a world that puts up with death. And number three, we testify because we cannot keep this to ourselves. We have a heavenly home where we all experience eternal resurrection and we want others to have the assurance and the confidence that this life is not all there is. God is providing more beyond our time on earth. And at the same time, we testify that we have a wonderful, beloved community gathered here for a time on earth to share love and peace. We believe, hope, and testify to further God's kingdom on earth and in heaven. Will you pray with me? We are so grateful for your gift of Easter, Lord God. You have conquered death. You have provided each one of us with the promise of eternal life in heaven and the abundant life here on earth. All praise and glory and honor to you, O God. Alleluia and amen. Oh
Good morning. My name is Ray Joseph. I am the Minister for Administration here at MCCLV, and I bring you greetings from my home in Walnut Port. Now, I give to God through MCCLV because I see how needed MCCLV's message of God's inclusive love still is today. Unfortunately, there are still so many people in our community who still need to hear this message, so I want to make sure that MCCLV is going to be around for many, many years to come. Easter is always a reminder to me of how generous God is in our lives, and I believe it's important to share that generosity, especially on a day like today. Now, if you are able to give today, you can give your offering online through the church's website, www.mcclv.org, and click on the Donate button on the homepage. MCCLV offers a variety of ways to give online, such as Venmo, PayPal, Apple Pay, and Google Pay. Or if you prefer, you can write a check and mail it to the church at 1401 Greenview Drive, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, 18018. Now, if you are present in person at the church, the ushers will share the offering basket momentarily during the worship service. God has given us every good thing. Let us now return to God a portion of all that God has so graciously given to us. Happy Easter, everyone. Let us pray. God, we're grateful for this time of healing, this time of communing with you and with this beloved community. Lord God, you have conquered death. You have provided us with the miracle and the gift of resurrection, not only to our eternal heavenly home, but to live resurrected lives here and now. Thank you, Lord God, and praise you. Amen. Will you join me in our commission and blessing? Christ is risen. The stone is rolled away. The tomb found empty. We have seen Christ in every helping hand, in every act of forgiveness, in every choice to restore life in this world. We are called to a new life, and we walk forward on this journey of faith, believing, hoping, and testifying. Amen.
Love and serve the Lord. Vaya con Dios. Walk with God. Amen.